read Luke 24, starting at verse 36. And that's where we begin today. So Luke 24, starting at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why, know, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, and as you see, I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for, for, the, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, we've been studying Jesus since last fall, and this is, I think, one of the critical points in our journey because it's time for us to reconcile with the resurrection of Jesus. First thing you need to hear plainly in the scripture is the resurrection body of Jesus was literally present, flesh and blood. He was there in the most real physical sense that you can imagine, as real as the person sitting next to you. It was the same body that had been buried just a few days earlier, but it was different. It was no longer subject to death. This was the glorified body of the resurrection. And I guess that's why Jesus could enter a room where the doors were bolted and the windows shuttered. And then when he spoke to them, he said, Peace be with you. And they thought they saw a ghost. You know, I don't fault them for that. We have this culture of Christianity that most of us are pretty comfortable in that has informed us of the resurrection so long that we can't imagine why they were so frightened. Why didn't they just say, oh, it's Jesus, great. Let me tell you something, and I'll be more blunt and direct in a few minutes, but for now, just understand that they saw him dead. They had every reason to be frightened. And every culture has a, uh, some sort of, of uh, legend and, and comprehension of the idea of ghosts and spirits. And, so like Sherlock Holmes, they had nothing better to do than to reason that if you've eliminated all of the possibilities, then the only thing that's left is the impossible, and for them that was a ghost. And so they thought they saw a ghost. In fact, it was easier for them to imagine him as a ghost than to reconcile with his literal physical reality of resurrection. And again, I'll emphasize that even more in a minute. 
But then to assure them of who he is and what he is not, he shows them the scars on his body. And then he asks them for something to eat. In those cultures where there is a legend or belief in ghosts and spirits, even in our own culture, we would find it virtually impossible to imagine a ghost sitting down to the table with you and eating whatever is on the plate set before them. And Jesus knows this. And so he says, I'm not a ghost. Look, feel, see, and then he eats. It's almost too good for them to believe it's true, and that's one of the reasons the scripture says to us that they're frightened but joyful all at the same time. But this is what I'd like to begin by talking over with you right now. Does Jesus seem more like a shadow to you, more like a historical figure who can sometimes make his spirit known to you in some weird ethereal way from time to time? Or is Jesus the flesh and blood, living, risen Savior to you? Can you, like those apostles and disciples back then, say with absolute confidence under oath, my Redeemer lives and I have seen him in the flesh? And we're going to talk about that first. When Jesus enters the room, even today, we have to deal with the reality that Jesus is the one who died and rose again and who lives today and reigns in heaven on the Father's throne. That he is a physical human being sitting on the throne of God right now, waiting for the word from the Father. That's the truth as scripture defines it, and we have to accept it and reconcile with it. And we have to understand that when he enters the room, we can either be like the ones we heard about last week who sit at the table of unbelief, not expecting to see him, or we can be like these guys we hear about in this passage, overjoyed and a little terrified, because he is really alive, physically, he is everything he claimed to be, and more. But here's the problem that I've seen in the church in my years of doing ministry and in my own spiritual journey. I've witnessed it in myself. For many people, Jesus is like a ghost more than a real person. He's someone that we believe in in spirit. We accept that he once existed and that he held a special place in human history that was unique, but we can't really wrap our minds around the reality of his living flesh and blood presence. We can't really grasp that this is someone we will embrace one day and will deal with, and who will deal with us, who will deal with the world. It's hard for us, and I can understand why. And I will say to you in a moment that one of the ways that you get past that is because of the gift the Father gives from on high, the very glory of God. In other words, Jesus opened their minds with this temporary gift of the Holy Spirit that became permanent at Pentecost. 
And so it is the Holy Spirit within you that begins to take you to this level of comprehension of the reality of Jesus. And so it is something that comes with faith. Again, I'll come back to that. But the one thing I want to mention before I go on is, is if this is true, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the very Son of God, the living flesh and blood representation of God on earth, and if everything he is and does is meant for our redemption, and if he died on the cross and then rose again, then why aren't we acting like it? Why aren't we like those who saw him in that room that day, those who witnessed him and received the spirit of Pentecost, taking every risk and every conceivable, uh, taking on every conceivable obstruction to the proclamation of this good news? Why aren't we doing that? Why are we so comfortable and content? If not because in most respects, we think of him as the ghost from the past. Bethany and I have been doing a virtual Bible study in a form of a podcast, and this study that we're on right now is of the uh, C.S. Lewis classic, Mere Christianity. I really recommend this book to you, and if you want, I really encourage you to listen to our study in conjunction with reading it. C.S. Lewis says this, and perhaps it sounds a little harsh, but I want you to hear it and imagine others that you might know, perhaps even yourself. He says, how is it that people who are quite obviously eaten up with the pride, with pride can say they believe in God and appear to themselves very religious? I'm afraid it means they are worshiping an imaginary God. They theoretically admit to themselves to be nothing in the presence of the phantom God, but are really, at the time, imagining how God approves of them and thinks them far better than ordinary people. But they really are all the time imagining, or, excuse me, I lost my place. He says, but they, they pay a penny's worth of imaginary humility to God, and they get a pound's worth of pride towards their fellow man. Now, here's the thing that I really wanted to drive home. If Jesus is more like a ghost from the past to us, then as C.S. Lewis says, I suppose it was of those people Christ was thinking when he said that some would preach about him and cast out devils in his name, only to be told at the end of the world that he had never known them. Now this might sound a little harsh, but what I'm hearing plainly so far is, is that if Jesus is real, alive, having been resurrected from death, who reigns in heaven and will return again, then we risk acknowledging that we agree with the history as it's been informed to us. We acknowledge the truth of the Bible as we understand it, but what happens if we don't expect to see him face to face? Perhaps he will say, I don't know you. So this challenge today is that we seek the living Jesus, not affirming and asserting our confidence in a story we believe to be true. This is taking it to another level. Jesus revealed 
that he was in all respects alive and well. And unfortunately, many of us believe in Jesus, but so does Satan. Unfortunately, many people believe in Jesus, but they also believe in the Easter Bunny. And the reality that we have to face is, is that belief in Jesus isn't really that difficult. But having a relationship with Jesus, because you know that Jesus is alive, and while you cannot experience his physical presence in the same way you're experiencing the presence of the one sitting by you, you can experience his reality and you can be certain of his inevitable return. And how will you know him? You'll know him because your heart and mind have been opened and you recognized him. This is the thing that you don't want to miss in this passage that we just read, is they were struggling. They saw what they saw, and they could not deny what they saw, but they weren't able to wrap their minds around it until Jesus opened their minds. Please keep that in mind as you make the spiritual journey of your faith, because there comes a moment in every person's life when they begin to understand because of what they believe instead of waiting until they understand to believe. Once you've made that transition, your mind is open and things become more clear to you. And this is exactly what is being described here. And unlike them, we have easy access to the source of all of that truth and power for interpretation and witness, and that is the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that Jesus was talking about you when he said first in his prayer before his death that those who would follow the apostles and the disciples that he knew in the physical sense were also on his mind when he was about to undergo what he would do for the sake of all who would be redeemed by God's grace. He's also speaking to you when he talks to Thomas, the apostle who said, I'm not going to believe this until I see it with my own eyes, until I put my hand in his side. And then he had one of those moments you've seen in the TV shows, maybe it's even happened to you, you start shooting your mouth off and then everybody's giggling and, and you stop and you say, he's right behind me, isn't he? Yeah, because that's what happened to Tom. And as soon as he laid eyes on Jesus, he fell at his feet and worshipped him, saying, My Lord and my God. He didn't have to probe the wounds. Let's talk about those wounds for a minute. He wants to be known by the scars. Jesus reveals that he is who he claims to be, even when they're suspecting it's some sort of specter, because of the scars. He says, Look at my scars. You know it's me. But for Jesus, those scars mean a lot more, and they will mean more to us in the future than you might realize. Here's where I want to get a little graphic, and I want you to bear with me because this is not easy to hear, but it's important to hear. You must understand that Jesus suffered a brutal, terrible death. He was scourged with something called a cat of nine tails. It's a whip that has little cords of leather, and those cords have rocks and glass and pot shards tied into them. It is meant to 
pull and tear the flesh off of the person that's struck with it. And he received 39 lashes. His back was raw meat before he went to the cross. He was crowned with thorns from a bush that has thorns that are a good two to three inches long. And it was pressed down on his head to make sure it wouldn't fall off and that punctured his scalp. And as you may know, your face and scalp bleed even more liberally than other parts of your body. And then when he was nailed to the cross, probably through his wrists because it would have been more terrible and because it would have sustained his weight better. And when he was nailed through his wrist and through his feet, then there was blood that emerged from those wounds as well. The Jesus they took down off the cross and buried was pale, white really, and there was no blood in his system. How do I know? Because he's described as having been poked with a spear in his side to see if he was really dead. They pushed the spear up under his rib and into his heart to make sure he was dead. And the only thing that came out were a couple of drops of clear serum, meaning there was no blood in his body. This also means that the body they laid to rest in the tomb had open, gaping wounds that would not close anymore because Frankly, if you cut yourself or even receive a puncture or something as severe as a nail through your wrist, if you remain alive, your body will close over that because of the blood pumping through your system and all of the various functions of your body. They saw Jesus as something less than human, something on the order of roadkill. May I be so graphic? You ask, why, Dan, are you trying to present this horrible image of Jesus? Because when they saw him, there were scars, and he was well. He was not healed. He was not restored. He was resurrected being. He was a really alive, completely renewed person. He's the upgrade we're all waiting for. And this means that this bloody pulp of a f what used to be a person that they had witnessed was now standing before them in the flesh, fully healed. And when he says, look at my scars, he's not just saying that because they want to know for sure that it's him. He wants them to understand that they are scars. The word scars refers to a closed wound that is left behind a mark. I don't know about you, but I've got hundreds of them. And each one tells a story, and each one is a sign of something that happened, but I got over it, but it left a mark. Now, Jesus is showing them his scars. Why did Thomas say, I want to put my hand in his side? Because the last time he saw Jesus' side, that would have been easy to do. A horrible open wound that he could have just pushed his hand into and back out again. And now there's a scar. Jesus wants you to see those scars and he wants you to understand that he is alive, that God's glory and mercy has done this, and that it is the glory and mercy that we are now allowed to receive because of him and his scars. It makes more sense when the mind is open. 
And so in faith, you journey towards this Christ that is alive and well, and you ask if this redemption is for you, and the answer is yes. And when you accept that redemption, you repent of your rejection of God and your resistance to God. And in that repentance, it doesn't mean you're sorry. It means you've chosen a new direction. And having chosen that new direction that begins with belief in the unbelievable, you have made an act of faith, a leap of faith. And it is at that moment that you begin a process that will end in your resurrection body. But it starts with the resurrecting of your mind, with the transformation of your mind. Your very spiritual nature becomes renewed, born again, people like to say. And this through the Holy Spirit that we can receive easily because of Pentecost and the love of God through Jesus. Now, when he comes again, Scripture promises that we will be resurrected. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And likewise, or, and will be changed. I'm sorry, that's from Corinthians. And First John tells us, John the Apostle says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We have the promise of resurrection. Look at the sermon notes, look at the study guide, and do your homework, because what you're gonna find out is, is that God plans for the dead to be raised, and those who are alive in Christ to be renewed in the twinkling of an eye. And renewed, in other words, means resurrected. Jesus is declared the firstborn of the resurrected dead, but not the last. And so those who die will be restored to whatever God's original plan for you was. You'll be like Adam and Eve were in the garden. You'll be a resurrected form, but better than them in that you have the Holy Spirit and a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a thought. If we will have resurrected bodies one day, will we be able to go into rooms where the doors are locked and the windows are shuttered? Oh, I don't know, probably, that would be cool. More than likely, what we're really talking about is the fact that Jesus in his resurrected form is no longer confined to earth and space and time as we understand it, but rather he is like the Father outside of space and time. And so all I can say is, is watch a few episodes of Doctor Who and you'll understand exactly what I'm trying to explain to you. Here's the bottom line. The Lord means for you to be with him in the flesh for all of eternity. And the Lord has proven by his very resurrection that no matter what condition you are in, when he is ready, you will join him in the resurrected form. If you're middle-aged and covered in scars with weak knees and bad shoulders like me, then guess what? Resurrection is going to be a real blessing. If you're young, you'll be the fully formed version of you that God intends from the beginning on the day of resurrection. If you're old and weary 
and unable to dress yourself and go where you want to go without help like Peter was, then God will reform or resurrect you into the perfect form of yourself. And if you've died and your bones have turned to dust, God will resurrect you and bring you into everlasting glory with Jesus in a resurrected form. And here's something really fascinating for you to wrap your mind around. Suppose that when you see yourself and everyone you know in this resurrection form, suppose that you will all be in perfect form. No scars, no wounds, no problems. I will have hair again. But there will be one person there who will still be scarred. And it will be Jesus. How do I know? The book of Revelation says that in those last days, even before he leaves glory to come and finish God's work on earth, he will be like a lamb wounded. He will be known by the scars. And so in all eternity, those of us who have lived for him and in trust in him will have this resurrection body that's going to be so awesome, and there will be Jesus resurrected but known by the scars. And I think what he would say to you, if you were to say, my Lord and my God, and fall at his feet just as Thomas did, and say, I'm so sorry for the scars that I put on you, he would say, my body is perfect now. And you might wonder what he means by that. Well, in the book of Isaiah, the Lord promises through prophecy that though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow, though they are red as crimson. They shall be like wool. And what he's saying is, is one day when you're in glory with God, you're going to experience this resurrection glory, and it will be entirely because of the scars upon Jesus' body. And we being the body of Christ on earth, being his flesh and blood here on earth, is the reality that you've been looking for. Do you want to know why you've never seen physically the presence of Jesus? Because you were looking for Jesus from the history lesson, the shadowy form from the past. What you need to look for to see the real Jesus is the Christ in the person sitting next to you, the Christ in the person that stands in front of you, the Christ in the body of Christ we call the church. That's where you see the living Jesus Christ. And when he returns, those will be the ones gathered around him in that great cloud of witnesses. And when he returns, it will be those who are his shining, perfected glory, even while he bears the scars. Now, if you're struggling with this, my advice to you is ask him to open your mind. In faith, go before him saying, I don't understand, but I want to understand. Like, like the, the one that Jesus talked to on the day his daughter was healed, who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Cry out like that and ask God to open your eyes of your heart. Say, Lord of God, speak. And in faith, wait. And when your eyes are open, when your mind is cleared, you will have what you've been looking for. 
the truth that comes in love into your spirit and changes your nature and you will begin a journey towards being the Christ that someone else needs to meet face to face. And all of us will meet him, embrace him, eat with him, and share in his glory one day, and we can look forward to that no matter what happens in our lives as we know them now. And to God be the glory. Amen. Mm -hmm.